0: Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, good morning. Like Adam said, we're just getting into this series on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, getting into this series we've been calling Upside Down Kingdom, in which we've been considering what Jesus said living in God's kingdom under God's King looks like. And, and how living in his kingdom looks very different than living in this world, like living upside down, you could say, or like living right side up in this upside down world. We saw that last week as we considered what it looks like to be blessed, that rather than the rich and the famous in Jesus' kingdom, he says it's actually the poor in spirit to whom the kingdom belongs, the mourners and the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart and the peacemakers and the persecuted, that these are the ones who are truly blessed because to these belong the benefits and blessings of the king. Well, today we're going to see this again, this upside down nature of life in the kingdom as we turn our attention to joy. And to do so, we'll pick up in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 11. And if you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn there and to follow along with me as I read from verse 11 through to the end of verse 16. We left off with Jesus saying this, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to how he expands on this again in Matthew chapter 5 in verses 11 to 16. He says this, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray as we continue to consider what living in your kingdom looks like, we pray that our lives would shine forth like Jesus says, that we would be the salt of the earth and the light of the world that he calls us, making the darkness just a little more bearable until the day the darkness is done away with for good. And we pray that in doing so, when persecution comes and we are reviled and spoken ill of on Jesus' account, we pray that in it we might rejoice And be glad, because greater is our reward in the one who sits in heaven. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Well, the joy of cooking is widely recognized as America's favorite cookbook. Our copy is of the two 2006 75th anniversary edition the dust jacket has sadly uh, been lost is no longer with us but 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 we have what's left at home and it is it is much loved and much abused uh, another edition's been published since in 2019 by the the original author's great-grandson and and currently over nearly 20 million copies are in print. Even Julia Child learned to cook from the joy of cooking. But you may be interested to know that the original author, Irma Rombauer, didn't write this book out of joy, but in the hope of restoring joy to an at that time rather joyless life. You see, when Irma Rombauer turned to write the first edition of this cookbook back in 1931, she did so as a way to cope with the loss of her husband, to whom she'd been married for over 30 years at that point, but who had taken his life after losing nearly everything in the Great Depression. And Mrs. Rombauer wrote and self-published that first edition in an attempt to recapture a measure of the joy she had lost. In a sense, recognizing that joy in life as much as in cooking is wrapped up not so much with the hard work or hardships along the way, but with where they take you in the end. Because if we're just being honest, and I'd ask the cooks in the room to just be honest for a second, that's how cooking is, isn't it? I mean, sure, you can enjoy a measure of it along the way, but the joy isn't really in the process. It's wrapped up, essentially, with the product. So that the the process of tenderizing the chicken, for instance, and dredging it in the flour and dipping it in the egg and covering it in the breadcrumbs and, and getting that all over your hands and your clothes and your kitchen. What makes it worth it is not the mess that you've got to go through, but the chicken parmigiana that you end up with in the end, right? Well, according to Irma Rombauer, And Jesus also, so too in life. The only difference for Jesus, of course, is that in his upside down kingdom, one's joy is not only wrapped up with where you are for now, it's about where you're headed for good. Not just with where you land in this life, but with where you end up in the life to come. And that's what Jesus is getting at in these verses in Matthew chapter 5. When he says in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account when you go through the the hardships. Blessed are you. Really, Jesus? Yes. In fact, rejoice and be glad, he says. Take joy in it. Find the joy in it. Why? For your reward is great in heaven so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So set your joy on what's to come. But just like with cooking, where the joy to come is often slid into the oven, as it were, and tick, tick, ticking away until completion. That doesn't mean that in the meantime... There's nothing left to do. No, like any good cook, Jesus says, just like those prophets of old, while, while we're still living here on earth and looking forward to that joy in heaven, while we're still in the kitchen, so to speak, there's still work to be done. And Jesus uses two images to describe that work, comparing his followers to salt and light. And that's what I want to take the rest of our time this morning considering what it means to be salt and light and what it looks like to have one's joy set on what's to come even as we continue the good work in the meantime. First, let's look at what it means for us to be salt, which, forgive me, as just an ode to some of my fellow elders, isn't meant to be an insult or an assault, but is meant actually by Jesus to be a compliment. It's actually meant to make you do somersaults, right? This is a compliment by Jesus that we are indeed the salt of the earth. When he says in verse 13, you are precisely that, the salt of the earth. What does that mean, though, that we are the salt of the earth. Well, in Jesus' day, it's worth noting that salt was a highly prized commodity. So much so that Roman soldiers were even sometimes paid in salt. That even thought, that, That's even thought by some to be the etymology of the word soldier coming from the Latin saldere, meaning to give salt. And and it's certainly where we get the word salary from, from salarium, which which referred to a soldier's allowance to buy salt. And so you'd speak of whether a soldier was worth their salt. Because again, salt in, in the ancient world was a highly prized commodity. So it's not as much of an insult as calling us sheep, right? This is a compliment. Just think of the routes established around the Roman Empire for the salt trade, right? And in part, salt was so highly prized because it was used for so many different things. Maybe not the 14,000 ways it's reportedly used today, but still, for everything from ritual sacrifices to the cleansing of wounds and the cleaning of newborn infants and, and for flavoring food. So you get a word like salad from the salt that was added to flavor it. But perhaps the use that's most in view here of, of all those possible uses, the, the use that's in view here by Jesus is the use of salt as a means of preservation, right? Because Before the days of artificial refrigeration, the principal way to preserve food was to treat it with salt. And so salt became a symbol of power in the ancient world because it allowed armies to travel great distances with their provisions intact. And it allowed explorers to sail the seven seas and to to discover new lands because their food wouldn't spoil. Salt was a, a preservative in many ways the preservative so that Jesus is saying in the same way, those living under the king while awaiting the kingdom act as a preservative of the world. You are the salt of the earth meant to benefit it in so many ways, but not least by preserving it from just rotting away. And really, there's so many examples in history of what that looks like for Jesus' followers. But let me point you back to to one in those Roman days when around the year 250 B.C., a a second great epidemic that that we don't know exactly what it was, but a second great epidemic epidemic, uh, was sweeping across the empire and at its height was claiming the lives of some 5,000 individuals a day. And that's just in the city of Rome. 5,000 individuals a day, ultimately wiping out nearly a third of the population. Let me read to you the contrast drawn by a man named Dionysius, a bishop, when he described to his fellow Christians the difference between how Jesus' followers responded to that crisis and the response of others. This is what Dionysius says. He says, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, cheerfully accepting their pains as their own. Many in nursing and curing others transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead. The best of our brothers lost their lives in this manner, he says, a number of presbyters, deacons, and and laymen. I hope that's not our fate of our deacons, but deacons and laymen winning high commendation, so that death in this form and the result of great piety and strong faith seems in every way to equal the equal of martyrdom. Others, he says, behaved in the very opposite way. At the first onset of the disease, they pushed the sufferers away, and fled from their dearest, throwing them into the roads before they were dead, and treated unburied corpses as dirt, hoping thereby to avert the spread and contagion of the fatal disease. But do what they might, they found it difficult to escape. It's interesting that as much as as much loss as as the Christian community must have sustained for their benevolence. Sociologists will actually point back to their actions here, as at least in part, of what led to the great explosion of Christianity afterwards. After all, just think of the testimony to an unbelieving dear old dad after his family throws him out on the streets before he's even dead only to be nursed back to health by believers who didn't even know him. Just part of what it looks like to be the salt of the earth. So Dionysius says, other people would not think this a time for festival, but far from being a time of distress, it was for us, he says, a time of unimaginable joy. Looking forward to what was to come while doing the work left to be done. But note Jesus' words in verse 13. That if the salt has lost its taste, its saltiness, by somehow becoming adulterated, or in this context, giving in to the pressures from persecution. Jesus says, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out itself and trampled underfoot. So keep at it, Jesus says. Keep at it, because you are the salt of the earth. Kath and I will watch a fair bit of cooking shows if we get the the chance, and some of our favorites are those competitions you know what i'm talking about some of the cooking competitions actually we like the british ones the best cuz they're great to watch great to put you to sleep if you need to but i'll tell you what i'll tell you what the the saddest moment is in those shows it's when the cake or or whatever is already in the oven tick tick ticking toward completion but rather than focusing their attention on the icing or what have you, getting the, the, the plates ready or the platters set. The participant spends all their time back hovering over the oven as if they're somehow going to help it out when it, actually all they're doing is proving that they don't really trust what's to come. So Jesus says, keep at it for the joy set before you, because I'm the one who cooked the cake, he says. I'm the one who's cooking the cake. I'm the one who's going to see it cooked through. And you, for now, you can focus on what's left to be done as the salt of the earth, because that's what you are. And second, as the light of the world. So Jesus says in Verse 14, you are the light of the world, which is interesting, giving his own proclamation in the Gospel of John, right, that he is, in fact, the light of the world. Here he says his followers are the light of the world and a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And you don't hide it, right? Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, as a city on a hill or a lamp on a stand. Let your light, he says, shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Because you are the light of the world. Which Jesus said at a time, it be worth remembering, before Edison had perfected the light bulb, before LEDs were around, right? And and so a city with even its faint lights back then would produce light not just for itself, but for those living many miles away, something we wouldn't really even appreciate in our day and age, would be hard-pressed to appreciate, but back then would have meant a whole lot. Say if you spent the dark hours of a day in the countryside watching over your flock by night, because if an overcast sky happened to roll in, you wouldn't be able to see your hand in front of you. And that light on the horizon, as faint as it might be, would bring a whole lot of comfort against whatever might go bump in the night hate the dark i hate it the pitch black dark because it's the unknown and in many ways marks the unknowable the uncontrollable but a little bit of light can go an awful long way and isn't it amazing that jesus says that's us That's who we are. That in the darkness, we get the privilege of being the light of the world. Like a city set on a hill. Like Jerusalem was supposed to be. What an indictment against what it was not in Jesus' eyes. Like Jerusalem was supposed to be. Or a lamp set on a stand, which wouldn't make sense to put under a basket, not least because you'd burn the house down, right? In Jesus' day, these lamps had open flames, right? You burn the house down, so what do you do? You put it on a stand way up high where the kids can't get to it, right? You put it on a stand so it can light the whole room and give light to anyone in it. Like that, we're meant to give light to all around again to push back the darkness and to bring comfort before the day finally dawns what what is it that shines through us well jesus says it's our good works seen by others for which they give glory to god in heaven which has to refer back to all of what Jesus just got done saying, right? Not in these verses, but in the ones that came before them, that we shine as we embody the poor in spirit. Recognizing our own spiritual bankruptcy as those who mourn over it and and the spiritual bankruptcy of our world. and As those who are meek in our relationship to God and then merciful in our relationship with others. And as those who shine that light on the darkness of this world. Like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the pastor, prophet, martyr, spy, who who dared to stand against the Third Reich. Like Dr. Martin Luther King, the spokesman of the Civil Rights Movement, or Harriet Tubman, who, who escaped from slavery only to make 13 return voyages to rescue some 70 others of her friends and family from slavery themselves like Corey Ten Boom and William Wilberforce and countless others, not because they always had a buttoned-up theology of God, but because in life, and often to the point of death, they and those like them chose to stand with God. Despite the very persecution that Jesus said would come for doing so. Because you can't push against the darkness and expect the darkness to be happy about it. You can't push against the darkness expecting that the darkness isn't going to push back. A lot of people make their living by the darkness, make their loving by the darkness, but they are lost in the darkness. And yet, with our joy set firmly on what's to come, we too can be about the business of the work of pushing back, the work that's left to be done, making the icing for the cake, so to speak, as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, preserving it with a, with a measure of goodness and pushing back against all the badness. Because again, your your joy is set in heaven. Your reward is in heaven, Jesus says. Wrapped up not only with where you are for now, but with where you're headed for good. Not just with where you land in this life, but how much more, how abundantly more it's wrapped up with where you end up in the life to come suggest, though, that this joy that we're to rejoice in, this reward, isn't simply about a somewhere, but about a someone. And, and that's because heaven, for Jesus, is all about who's there. Interesting now for us that it's Jesus himself sitting there. But for Jesus, it's it's all about who's there. Notice, Jesus says back in verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for doing what's right. Persecuted on my account, he'll say. Why? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For, verse 12, their reward is great in heaven. That's where he starts. But where does he end? By pointing out that our good works for which we're persecuted as the salt of the earth and the light of the world, that they bring glory to the one who is in heaven, our great God, our joy, and our reward. Secured for us by the one who who packed more salt and shined more light than we ever could imagine, who's whose saltiness was never doubted for a second and whose light lit up the world on end, who was persecuted for righteousness' sake in a, in a way none of us could ever fathom so that we might, in his wake, have something worth suffering for ourselves. Because Jesus put the cake in the oven. And he set the time, tick, tick, Ticking toward completion so that all we got to do as his followers, what we're called to do and invited to do and empowered to do in him, with our joy set on the one we will someday be with, all we got to do is prep the icing. To encourage you in that, let me leave you with a question and a comfort. First, the question, are you being what you are? Are you being what you are, the salt and light that Jesus says you are? Because these are indicative statements, right? These are statements of fact. You are, if you are in the kingdom under the king, you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. They are indicative statements, but but they are also implicit imperatives. So are you being what you are? Doing what's left to be done and doing it in, let me just suggest, specific ways. Because sadly, we can often drift into this sort of Miss America mentality where all, all we all know the right answer, but are doing very little about it in the sense that we all want world peace, right? Everybody wants world peace, but we're doing very little to, to proactively go after, be a catalyst for peace even in our own lives, with our own relationships, with the ones that are closest to us, where our lives are most broken, right? We fall into this Miss America mentality. But let me encourage you to go after it specifically, to, to look at your life specifically so again are you doing what's left to be done in the specifics like a friend of mine who just this week called me and asked me to pray for him as he confronted his parents about a a a habit that has already cost them a great deal and in the end may cost them everything or like another who's working right now on cracking the sex trafficking issues in Chicago, one out of 24,000 victims at a time, one by one. Or, or maybe for you, it's a little closer home. Maybe it's pressing into that relationship with your neighbor that you've thought about a lot but never actually moved on, maybe for starts by just asking their name if you're at that place, and maybe a little bit about their story, and opening up the opportunity to share a little of yours. Or maybe it's by signing up with We Care down in Decalb, or Love, Inc., or Neighbor's House, devoting one afternoon a week for this spring semester to, to joining others in the cause of, of being salt and light together. But either way, whatever it is, starting with your relationship with God and working outward to your relationship with family and friends and members of your community and beyond, the question really is, are you being the salt and light that you are? That's the question. And here's the comfort for those who are being salt and light and receiving the kickback for it. Know that the cake is already cooking and tick tick ticking toward completion so 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 set your joy which is hard to do when you're getting the kickback set your joy not on where things are today and all the hardships that go with it but rejoice and be glad in the somewhere and the someone still to come and recognize that in the meantime That that it makes sense when the darkness pushes back. Even when it's a darkness in those who are meant to be part of the light. Don't stop doing what you're doing for righteousness' sake. On account of Jesus. Make sure that you're doing it for Jesus. But don't stop doing it just because you're suffering like Jesus. Take comfort in the fact that someday the dawn will undo the darkness for good. Like I said, Kath and I like watching these cooking shows, (laughs) these cooking competitions. And there's one in particular that we've been watching lately, Britain's Best Bakery. It's one of those British ones, if you didn't catch that. And one of the reasons we like it so much is that by the end of each episode, each of the competitors is no longer standing alone but rather is encircled with a whole mess of others around them. And as, a, 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 as fierce as the competition can get, as fierce as it can get in a British baking show, by the end, by the end, even the competitors and all their entourages are circling around and embracing the one who comes out on top I can't help but think that this is a little snapshot of what it's going to be like for us. All in the end, who, who'd been a part of the kingdom, some you don't even know where they, they came from, some that, who'd struggled with the darkness all their life, all then, even you and your struggles, even me, then circled around Jesus when there's no more darkness to push against. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's a high and hefty identity to be named the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But as we look to you, we place our hope and trust and joy in the work that you've already accomplished through your son, are in the process of accomplishing and have promised to one day accomplish for good. I pray we would and we do trust likewise that you'll shine that light through us even as we give ourselves to the task. Looking forward to the day that the darkness will be no more. In Jesus, in whose name we pray.